0: Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. Delighted to be back with you again today. So today, Enlightened Investors, we are looking at residential assisted living. Get twice the market rent with long-term, low-impact tenants. Isabel is a graduate of Arizona State University and is now the COO of Residential Assisted Living Academy. She has been featured in many magazines regarding the topic of senior housing, and most recently was given the title of one of the top influencers in senior housing. Isabel also won Aging Media's Future Leaders of Assisted Living. So Isabel, take us into the show and share with us a memorable experience that helped you to be who you are today.
1: Well, I love that. Thank you for the beautiful introduction. And it's so great to be here with you today, Dr. Allen you know, a lot of what really formed what I'm doing right now. And as soon as you asked me that, you know, what, what kind of got you to the place that you are today is, I think, the relationship I had with my father. I, I really um, was very, very, very blessed to have a dad who was an entrepreneur. And when we think about, like, Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad, poor dad, you know, mentality, I truly was raised with that rich dad mentality. Someone who, from a very young age, instilled in us entrepreneurship, and taking control of your life, and not, you know, relying on others to bring in money to your own life, you know, that you you shouldn't be working for the man, and he was almost against us going to college, you know, I, I had a full free ride, so he was like, okay, well, you might as well take it because it was free for me to go. But if it wasn't, he would have been very, very much don't go, you know, Um, go out into the world and meet people, you know, experience things and learn through being around other people who are experts in their field. And that's how you're going to grow the fastest and i really just think that that's totally formed so much about who i am and how i operate as a human is that i had a dad who had such a heavy impact and influence on my own business life and my business profession and and i'm i'm really blessed and grateful for that and hope to be able to one day carry that on to whoever my future children are and i think that's a really cool thing cuz a lot of people worry about how to raise their kids and how to teach them know. these things but i think a lot of times we're missing that you don't have to teach them. You just show them by being you, by doing what you do. That's how they learn. They learn through osmosis. And then it's tied to the emotions. When you're just teaching someone, it's only up here. When they're being shown, it's in here and it's, it's part of their core. So I think that's a really beautiful thing that's really helped form who I am, for sure.
0: Well, Wanda, what a wonderful uh, childhood experience you must have had. And an unusual one, uh really not not many people have had that kind of advantage that in, so in spite of that uh, that particular kind of advantage you you did go to college, uh you had a free ride there, but you also you worked for the man you were uh and yeah. a flight attendant uh, yep. for a time and then before you actually got into your own company, there were a couple of other things you did. so how did you take that detour with having had That very rich uh, childhood experience.
1: Yeah, I think in general, even though you're trying to tell your kids, right, hey, we want you to do this. They're still going to do whatever they want to do. And so when I was in college, I had a great opportunity to intern at Walt Disney World. And again, it was one of those opportunities that's like, I'm not going to give that up. That's one of the number one companies, you know, in the world. And to be able to learn from the best of the best on some of their processes and procedures and how they do things behind the scenes, that was an excellent experience. And I really gleaned a lot from that that I still use in my day to day business operations with my own team. So that was a great experience. And then I think when I wanted to become a flight attendant, that was just all about like, let me get out in the world, but find a way to get paid for it. And what a beautiful opportunity to do just that. Although I always said, like, I'm not using my brain at this job. Like, I'm going brain dead here. I, I was like, I think I need to, I, I was buying all these books. Like every day when I would land, I'd go to the library and get more books or go to Barnes and Noble, buy books. Because I was like, I am not using my brain. I'm having the same small talk conversations over and over. And I was just thinking as we logged on to this, that I'm so blessed in what I do right now because I get to have stimulated conversations with incredible people like you who have so much knowledge and expertise and in, in your own world, in your own realm. And it's just night and day from, from what I was experiencing there, getting to see the world, but going brain dead in the meantime.
0: <laughs> I would think though, you had to have learned a great deal about Uh, Customer relationships, being a flight attendant, maybe not particularly stimulating conversations, (laughs) but my gosh, uh, to be a flight attendant, you have got to have some customer service skills for sure.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Well, what exactly is assisted living?
1: Yeah, residential assisted living is all I focus on right now. And that's basically a group home for seniors in a single family neighborhood environment. That helps the seniors with activities of daily living or ADLs. So anything that we do from the moment we get out of bed to the moment we go to bed at night, you know, seniors, by the time they move into an assisted living home, they typically need help with three to five of these. So it's not just a home where you're saying, okay, seniors can live there, golden girl style, right? That's independent living. Definitely. Residential assisted living is where they have 24 seven care, you know, medication management, three meals a day. And I play on the real estate side of it. So I own the real estate. I own the business, right, and can cash flow on both of those. Um, But I'm not day-to-day in the home or working in the home. I'm not licensed to do that. That's not what I do. I hire the proper staff to run all of that day-to-day operations for me.
0: Well, that uh, is certainly an interesting concept. So you talked a little bit about about what is going on there. It's 24-hour care. So how is this different from actually a nursing home environment?
1: Yeah. I think the, the best comparison, right, is a big box facility, what we think of as a Brookdale, a Sunrise, an atrium. The big differences between a residential assisted living home and a big box is we're only allowed to have somewhere between 6 and 16 residents in the home. Still private bedrooms, private bathrooms, equivalent to what the 1, 2, 300 bed large commercial facilities have with private bedrooms and private bathrooms. But the ratio of care is drastically different. Our ratios are about 4 to 1 or 5 to 1. In the big facilities, it's 15 to 1, 20 to 1, even upwards of 30 or 50 to 1 at night. So drastic differences in level of care. The cost of care is about the same in both facilities. And the amenities and activities are relatively similar. We don't have a dance hall, but we still do dance class, right? Right. We don't have a movie theater, potentially, right? But we still do movie night with popcorn and blankets and, you know, whatever the case Blatton. may be. So really, the biggest difference is the, uh, the care.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. How, how can you have at really such a small scale, because scale of economy usually goes as you go up larger, the, the scale of economy works towards your best interest, I guess, as an investor. But you're saying that you're keeping the ratio of 4 to 1, rather 4 to 15, and, and doing this on a small scale. So how is it that you're going about maintaining the level of care you're, uh, you're providing and still doing it cost-effectively?
1: Well, the cost of care nationally in our country today on average is about $4,500 a month. So, depending on where you live, that number could be much higher, much lower. DC's national, you know, cost of care is six thousand nine hundred seventy-eight dollars on average, right? And most people don't live in average homes; they live in above average or below average. So, but we'll go with forty-five hundred dollars a month if you have ten residents living in the home that's bringing you in forty-five thousand dollars of gross every month. It costs about thirty grand to run the home, so food, activities, you know, maintenance on the property, the caregivers, the licensed staff, the property insurance, and taxes, liability insurance. I mean, all in, probably that thirty me. grand for for a ten bed average home, plus your debt service, maybe five thousand dollars a month. That one home's bringing you in ten grand a month as the owner, right? As your take home profit, or one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. So a big facility you 10x that, right? They're not bringing in 10,000. They're probably bringing in 100,000 every single month. So there is bigger profits to be made over there. But for me, I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this for the impact. And I don't think that our seniors are getting what they need over there. I'm actually disturbed and disgusted and repulsed by what I've seen in most big boxes. And I think that as Americans and US, uh, not even US, world citizens, we should be highly upset about what's happening to our seniors all across the world. And we need to be providing a better option. So yeah, making 10 grand a month is awesome, right? On, on an average home, but the quality of care, the the life I see coming back into these seniors, the adult children thanking me, writing a check for five grand wrapped in a love letter nothing's better than that you know i know the impact i'm having means something and and that's what gets me going every day not not 10xing it although commercial facilities there's still a ton of money to be made i just don't know how good those owners feel about what they're doing yeah
0: well what are the services that you generally are providing in the residential assisted living environment
1: Yeah. So obviously help with the activities of daily living, right? So the caregivers are there to help the seniors get up and bathe and brush their hair and teeth, take medication. We usually have a private chef in the home cooking three meals a day for the seniors. So they have healthy, nutritious food. Activities range from pet therapy to senior yoga, music therapy, you know, all sorts of different things that we have coming in and out of the house to help the seniors you know, activate their mind and their body and stay physically fit and all those good things that they need, um, mentally fit towards the end of life. Of course, there's always you know volunteers and families coming in and out. Most of the seniors have a private bedroom, private bathroom, so they have their privacy and their space that they can decorate and make it their own. But oftentimes, they're hanging out in the living room or the library and the dining room with the other seniors, just enjoying their life. It's uh-huh. not a home-like environment. It's a home, right? Most uh-huh. of us grew up in a residential home and we don't want to leave that just because we turn 95 and need help. So Brian,
0: so I think you said that your facilities run from four to 16 residents. Did I did I get that correct?
1: Six, 16 is the six. state maximum. So depending on what state you're in. So I'm in Arizona, we're limited to 10. You're in North Carolina, you're limited to 12.
0: Okay, so so there are state regulations in terms of Uh, residential assisted living, as opposed to nursing home or the big box facilities. So you're regulated differently.
1: You are regulated differently. They're they're being run off of commercial level rules and regs. Ours are under group home categories. So different rules and regs, not nearly as strict or stringent.
0: So what are the regulations for the assisted, for the residential assisted living, as opposed to the nursing home
1: so theirs are uh, a lot more strict right they need commercial kitchens and and different points of egress and all sorts of different things that they that they need yeah. right they are going to need generators and fire suppression and and different things of that nature for us it's going to be similar but different right points of egress uh the states typically will require 80 to hundred square feet per person. That is cruel. We do not abide by that. We say three hundred to five hundred square feet per person minimum, right? So we want large, luxury, upscale homes in great parts of town that you feel happy to leave your loved one. That you that you that you say, hey, I want to move in here, right? So uh-huh. there are rules and regs. You have to post your monthly, you know, menu on and get it approved through the state so that you can say it's nutritious and and all those different things. But there's There's not as many rules as you'd think. Every state has their own set of rules, and and you do need to abide by them, but it's pretty simple to follow them.
0: Mm -hmm. So there's facility rules, and of course, are, I guess, more compatible with an actual residential home rather than uh, commercial regulations, like all of the the commercial things that you would expect to see in any commercial uh, facility. But they are geared towards actually making the home feel like a home, look like a home, present like a home. And so it's not necessarily that they're lax. They are just geared towards making it a home-like environment, it sounds like to me. Yes. Well, what are the, in terms of the professional staff, Are the regulations different for the residential assisted living?
1: It's the same staff that you're hiring in a large facility versus a residential assisted living facility, right? The licensed caregivers, it's the same staff. Actually, many of my staff they work shifts like a nurse. So they might work eight, 10 or 12 hour shifts. So they work for me three or four days and they may work for a big box facility three or four days. So it's the exact same caregivers and licensing requirements. Those are per state what is required. Usually it's like being 18, having a GED and taking some form of a caregiver training course, you know, CPR, food handlers, things like that. They get that, you know, through the state, about 80% of caregivers as currently right now in our in our market are from other countries right they're they're immigrants from other countries so um typically they were doctors or nurses wherever they were and they came over and it didn't translate but their heart is for geriatrics and seniors and they want to continue to give back in that way and they love seniors and so they become caregivers and it's it's a cool opportunity for them to fill I that think- heart need and that money need as far as the licensed administrator that does look different in a big box facility versus ours in ours that is someone who's maybe being paid a little bit more than a licensed caregiver maybe a couple more dollars per hour right it's not this massive $200,000 a year salary like you might find in a big box facility this is someone who might be in charge of hiring and firing the caregivers making sure that shifts are, are all covered and things of that nature marketing and touring the home and filling it with the seniors, making sure those beds are full, making sure that the policies and procedures are being abided by when the state comes over, that everything's on par and on track, their license is hung on the wall and they're really your go-to person. They're running everything on the day-to-day basis for you. In the real estate world, it's your property manager, but in in the assisted living world, it's the licensed administrator. And in a Bam. big box, it's a much more professional career. They're not getting their hands dirty. They're not wiping anyone's bum or showering anyone in our homes. They may have to step in, right? I'm not a licensed caregiver, but they have a license higher than a caregiver. So if a caregiver no-shows and they can't fill the shift, they take the shift, right? Over here, they probably wouldn't, right? They'll probably walk around wearing a blazer and making big decisions, and that's fine. Um, That role does look different. I have
0: no. So do you have to have a, a licensed nurse on the facility, 24 Depend- hours?
1: Depending on the state, you, you most of the states, you do not have to have someone there 24-7. You usually have to have a nurse on call or available on call. So like I've got 20 nurse friends who you put well, them down on the license. If I call them, I'll call them if I need them. Well, so get
0: into the real estate aspect of this. So these are... Single-family homes, uh, how do you get into into this residential assisted living process?
1: Yeah, there's four ways on the real estate side that you could get started. One is buying land and building a custom home from the ground up. If you live in a state where you're allowed to have 16 residents, you're not going to find a 15 or 16-bed home on the market, right? So buying land and building custom makes a lot of sense in a state like that or where you want to go a little bit bigger. The second him. way is buying a single family home and converting it to become. So we did that with two of our properties. You know, we bought something with a larger square foot, you know, footprint, right? And just chopped up the home a little differently, maybe added a renovation and just made it into what we needed it to be. For me, all, all of our homes are 10 bedroom, 10 baths. So they didn't start that way, but we made them become that way. Third is you can uh, buy an existing home. So there's 30,000 of these care homes that exist across our country today. You know, this is what many people think is a little known or or a niche thing, but it's not. We're, well, we, we represent 61% of all assisted living beds, RAL homes. So uh-huh. we are actually the majority. It's just our marketing efforts are, you know, so tidy compared to the big, huge Brookdale that everybody knows and sees the billboards for and the big sign outside. That so buying an existing home, you're purchasing the real estate, purchasing the business, you're up and running cash flowing day one. And fourth, you could lease a home to do this. So for those of your listeners who you know play in real estate, you can do either sides of that. Maybe you're purchasing homes, renovating them, getting them licensed and leasing them to an operator. and You're just going to get twice the fair market rent with a long-term low impact tenant, not dealing with any of the operations, but just being a landlord on one of those. Or the opposite, maybe you don't have the capital and so you want to lease the home from someone who's done that work, you're willing to pay a little bit more because they did a lot of the work for you and you're going to run the business leasing the home from them.
0: So a number of different ways to get into this and I guess depending on on what... The community you're in and the opportunities that are there, I think, are probably going to be some of the deciding factors in conjunction with how it is that you're going to get into that. Why are you so set on uh, residential assisted living other than just your passion for working with uh, geriatrics? And I totally agree with you. It is, it's kind of pathetic the way that uh, seniors are treated, not just in this country, but worldwide. But what are there other reasons why why don't you just go into Airbnb or a single family home for that matter?
1: Yeah, well, single family rentals, right? You're only making 200 to 600 bucks a month. You're going to need a lot of doors to get to your freedom number when I could have one home that cash flows me 10 grand and and the same home that cash flows me 200 bucks a month. Uh, That's no comparison. Plus, I'm dealing every door comes with tenants and toilets and drama, unpaid potential rent. And, you know, the profit's really not there with single family rentals. You have to have a ton to get to that freedom number. So that's not very enticing to me. When it comes to Airbnbs, you know, on if I know we mentioned that we'll put in the show notes some of the social media. And on TikTok, I have a lot of fun bashing on Airbnb, not because I don't (laughs) like them. I love Airbnbs and I stay in them all the time, but I don't think they're a very safe investment, right? You have cities like San Diego. I just got news that Scottsdale, uh, Atlanta, Hawaii, Las Vegas, completely shutting them down, making all these outrageous rules that make it incredibly difficult for the short-term rental owners to be profitable, right? Uh And many of the states are doing this because they want to have more housing, right, for actual residents, they're saying. But Then you have cities like Las Vegas, where we know that that's not what's happening. The hoteliers have a lot more money and power than the solopreneur like you or I. And Mm -hmm. they're involved in the conversation saying, shut that down. You know, we need help. Help us out, state of Nevada. So that's a really big thing to be considering, not to mention the state of our economy. You know, right now, the middle class is who's struggling the worst, right? We're going to see the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, who stays in Airbnbs? it's typically the middle class. And so they're not spending on luxury or you know extra items right now. They're pulling back. They're working harder. They're saving their money because they're scared. They don't know what to do. And maybe they don't listen to you on this show, right? I'm assuming everyone who listens is is independently wealthy and excited about investing and and doing different things with their capital but there's a lot of people who don't know what the world's going to look like coming up and they're terrified and they're not going to that week long, you know, trip down in Florida or the the Euro vacation that they take every year. They're pulling back. So I want to invest in something that has the demographics behind it something that's inevitable, something that has the money, the stats, and something that makes me feel good. And all of those are ticked marked with assisted living, right? That we're 1.3 million beds short today. And the silver tsunami of seniors has not hit. We're 10 years out from the baby boomers needing assisted living. You know, the silent generations who's currently living in assisted living, and there's only 44 million of them, but there's 76 million baby boomers.
0: And the NIC
1: projects we're only adding fifty thousand beds per year. This is a mega crisis, mega like. So it's just a huge opportunity, and and I think it's it would be silly not to diversify and want to get involved in this.
0: Well, Isabel, tell us we're running out of time here. So tell us what it is that you have to offer in terms of your residential assisted living academy and how it is we can take advantage of that
1: yeah so we do a three-day training in phoenix about every six to eight weeks Um, they're really awesome i teach and train exactly how to start own and operate your own residential assisted living home everyone who teaches with me was past students in the training they went out got their homes up and running and now they're back to teach So it's not a concept. It's not a theory. We're in the game with you. We're actively doing that. And I think it's really important. I think in the show notes, we'll be able to drop the link. But RAL101.com is a great place to go just to get the ball rolling. Grab some information there. We've got books and webinars. You can schedule a call with me or my team members. Um, There's a whole bunch of resources there for you guys at RAL101.com.
0: Well, excellent. All that information is, of course, going to be in the show notes. Isabel, before we go here, just real quickly, talk to us about financing.
1: So most people are not using their own capital to get started in this, right? And in our training, we go through the seven ways to fund your RAL. But I will say that the most popular way is using an SBA loan. They're really, really familiar with these. And, you know, our students who come through our class, we hook them up with the best of the best. They know exactly what to do and what to look for. So getting that pro forma and business plan in front of them, they would know what this is and they're happy to move forward and, and loan out on these. But SBA is a great way to get involved um, with this, maybe only putting 10 percent down. Uh, on the property and getting that capital for the business, the real estate, the carrying costs, everything that you need, and and that's important because there, this is a, a heavy lift, right? It's uh-huh. not, it's not every eighteen year old isn't getting into this industry, right? There's not a HGTV show on this. It's it is a it there is more dollars, more zeros involved than most other forms of real estate for sure. And
0: I would say more responsibility as well. Well, some wonderful opportunities there, obviously, and uh, my gosh, the demand uh, obviously is going to be an ever-growing demand. So lots of opportunity there. Isabel, what a pleasure it has been to be with you today. Enlightened investors, thank you for being with us. Be sure to check back with us in our next episode. Isabel, thanks so much for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments.